Hey pals, welcome to Ill Nature. This is Michelle. And I'm Alyssa. Halloweeny girls today because Halloween's only what like three weeks away. Uh, I don't know. Really well, twenty one days. Well, when we're recording this, but when it airs, it'll be like oh, that's right. I forget. Um, one, two, three, four, five, like six days I think before Halloween. So we're Halloweeny girls. Love Halloween, and y'all please get ready, prepare yourselves. We're having a Halloween party. Pumpkin carving competition, the swords against the Avris, mm-hmm. and you all will be our judges. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to make spooky themed recipes, snacks, whatever. Snacks. I love Halloween. Me too. So what are y'all going as, Melissa? We're going as the Flintstones. Next is going to be Pebbles. I'm obviously going to be Wilma, and yes. um, McKay's going to be Fred, and y'all are going as... Oh, I have some really big beads that I can spray paint white for your necklace. Please do. Remind me, please. Um, Well, the Avers, we couldn't quite agree on a family-themed costume because I have two little boys. Who like to do what they want. We're going to have a Spider-Man. We're going to have an Iron Man. My husband's going to be Bob Ross. And I... Well, y'all should have been Avengers, too. I didn't want to pay $100 for the costume. And I knew I couldn't do do it justice. You can Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do it. I wasn't there for it. It was not going to be fun. So, Will's Bob Ross... You can get a black latex suit and be Black Widow. I don't like Scarlett Johansson. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of her either, but you can be here. I I don't want to put that on myself. Who would you be then? Captain Marvel or... Nobody, because we're not dressing up as okay, the anyways, who Bob Ross and I'm going to be a painting. Okay. So, I'm really excited. I love Halloween and all things Halloween-y. Yeah. But let's get on to the case, shall let's we? Let's do this. Tell me. what. So, I doing? actually had a case picked out and then changed it the night that I started writing my case up. So, we're going to be talking about a 15-year-old girl who was murdered on October 30th, 1975. One day before Halloween. It took almost three decades to get a conviction for her murder, and there's a family connection to the Kennedys. So, let's talk about the tragic murder of Martha Moxley. I've heard this one. I've watched a couple of shows. It's been a while, though. Well, Martha Moxley was born on August 16th, 1960. Leo, shout out. Yes. Um, that was my due date. Oh, Yeah. I forget that my little baby doll is Leo as well. Yeah, she oh, is. Just like her auntie. So, um, she's born in San Francisco, California, and her parents were David and Dorothy Moxley. She had an older brother named John as well. And in the summer of 1974, when Martha was only 14 years old, her family moved to Greenwood. Wait. Greenage? Greenwich. Greenwich. That's how you say it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Greenwich. It's one of those I always. Me too. Greenage. Is it Greenwich? Greenwich. Greenwich. Okay, anyways, I was pronouncing it wrong the whole time until I watched an interview, and then I knew I was going to mispronounce it. Okay. So I'm glad you couldn't fix me. So they moved to Connecticut in a very well-to-do, upscale, gated neighborhood called Bellhaven. Dorothy said, quote, it was one of these neighborhoods the kids could just go meet people. Very safe. Everyone liked everyone. It seemed like. End quote. Mm. I looked at houses for sale in this neighborhood to get an idea of the area, and these houses are millions oh, it of is dollars. A millions. Neighborhood. Gorgeous homes. What is that? Something's happening in the kitchen. It's not the trash can. I can see the trash can. Anyways. An LA Times article I read said that George Bush grew up in this neighborhood as well. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. So the Moxleys lived at 36 Walsh Lane. And if it were me moving at 14 across the country to a new school, I would be freaking out. I would yeah. miss my friends and probably be the biggest loser ever. But Martha 
No, sister thrived. She made tons of friends. What is wrong in there? Everyone thought she was gorgeous and they wanted to get to know her. CNN reported that classmates were drawn to Martha because of her vivacious personality and self-confidence. Leo. (laughs) Only nine months after moving to Western Junior High School, she was voted the most popular girl in school. And her brother said, quote, Martha was a person who had everything in the world going for her. She was friendly. She was athletic. She was talented in the arts. Everything seemed to come easily to Martha. She was very easy to get along with, upbeat, friendly, the kind of kid you'd like to be around, end quote. But even though she was popular, she had tons of friends. And of course, even the though all the boys were interested in her, she was still a family-oriented girl and didn't mind That's being at home. Awesome. She was interested in sketching and drawing, and she loved her cat, Tiger. Yeah. She enjoyed swimming and playing tennis in her neighborhood. And I think she played basketball. Ba- basketball. 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 <laughs> basketball as well. I love it. Um, so when she was in middle school, she was voted best personality and, of course, made straight A's. But, like I said, she was popular with the boys. And she was said to have a wilder side that sometimes liked to smoke and party. You know, normal. just normal teen stuff. Absolutely. Well, in neighbor. In Martha's new neighborhood, she made friends with the neighbors. Uh, I think they lived across the street. The mm-hmm. Skakel family. Mm-hmm. They had seven children, I think. Whoa. I think there was six boys and one girl. Yikes. Um, and Martha kind of got along with all of the children, but she really primarily hung out with the two of the brothers more often. It was 17-year-old Thomas, or Tommy, and 15-year-old Michael. Mm-hmm. The Skakels were very, very wealthy, and it probably had something to do with the fact that they were related to Robert Kennedy. Uh-huh. Their father was Rushton, and his sister was Ethel Kennedy, Robert Kennedy's wife. So that means Tommy and Michael were Robert's nephews. Richard Burns, a friend of Martha, said in an interview years later that the Skakels were a famous family and thought they could do whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. He specifically said they had a lot more attitude about it. Now, we will get into them a little bit later on, but let's go ahead and skip to the night of the crime and what happened. So, we'll go from there. Perfect. October 30th, 1975. They also called this Mischief Night. This was exactly what it sounds like, where teens would go out, teepee houses and trees, ding-dong ditch, egg, cars, you know, just harmless That's right. Right. Um, And her her mother, Dorothy, recalled seeing Martha bundle up in a blue jacket as she watched her happily walk out the door for the last time ever. Dorothy told the Greenwich Centennial that she remembered it being very cold out that night and Martha was going to wear a particular jacket, her shearling lamb jacket that she had just gotten. And of course I had to Google what that was, but you seem like you know, but they were typically longer coats with a fur collar made Mm -hmm. out of lambskin, from what I could find. Uh, Very beautiful jackets. Yeah, but real lamb? Yeah. Well, they might have had diseases or something. Anyways, (laughs) this is why... (laughs) You know that fur's diseased. Um, but anyways, that's why Martha decided not to wear it because she knew there was going to be mischief going on. Somebody messed up her jacket. And she was going to have throat punch somebody, okay, which I don't blame catch her. Catch me outside. How about that? So she wore her blue parka jacket instead. And it was reported that Martha and two other friends made met Michael at the Skakel residence around 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. The teens piled into a Lincoln that was parked in the driveway. Michael and Martha were sitting in the front seat, and Tommy ended up joining them as well. Mm-hmm. So, it was Michael, Martha, and then Tommy. Martha was in the middle of the boys. Yep. Everyone is chilling, listening to music, having a good time, and around 9.30, two of the other Skakel brothers needed the car to take a cousin home. So Michael later told police that he left with his brothers to take his cousin home and watch the premiere of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Mm-hmm. Tommy stayed back with Martha and her friends. And it was said that Martha and Tommy were sort of flirting back and forth and they were kind of pushing each other, you know, playfully. That's right. And then Tommy pushed Martha down and then fell on top of her. And it supposedly embarrassed her friends and they left Martha alone with Tommy. Um, okay. Friends later testified to seeing them making out as well. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So this was. The, they were just trying to give them a little preface. Yeah. They didn't yeah. leave her behind. Martha no. was down with it. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, from this, what I'm reading, yeah. Okay. Uh, and this, but this was the last time Martha was seen alive. Um, Y'all don't leave your friends. I don't know the Skagel brother. Just look away, you know. If, if, so um, it was said that Dorothy heard the dogs barking because of a commotion around 10 p.m. But after that, there was nothing. And then she, of course, was expecting Martha to be home. And um, she started to worry when she wasn't home. Um, so around two, 1, 2 p, you know, a.m. in the morning, she called friends of Martha's asking if they had seen her. And all of them had the same response. We left her with Tommy outside of his house. Mm-hmm. So when Martha was still not home by morning, Dorothy walked over to the Skagels. She knocked on the door and Michael answered. She said, I'm Dorothy Moxley and I live across the street and I'm looking for my daughter, Mar- my daughter, my daughter Martha. I love it. <laughs> yes. My daughter, Martha. Do you know if Martha's here? And he said she was not. And she said he appeared hungover. But shortly after noon, while friends and family were looking for Martha, a classmate found her. Her body was laying underneath a tree at the back of her own property. This was Halloween day. There was a piece of a metal golf club shaft sticking out of her neck. She had (gasps) clearly been beaten to death by something. Her hair was matted with blood, and it was said you couldn't even tell what color hair she had because of how blood-stained it was. Her pants and underwear were pulled down to her knees, and another piece of the golf club later identified as a six iron was laying nearby. She had been struck so hard with the club that it broke. <sighs> Steve Carroll was one of the first investigators from the Greenwich Police Department to walk up to Martha's body. He- he could see where she had clearly been drugged through the grass to where she was now laying. The blood trail was followed back near the driveway and it was clear that it was, that was where she had been bludgeoned to death because there was a big pile of blood. She had been hit 14 times. It was later identified. So in her yard and it happened. Yeah. So she was like, I suppose like in the, she was at, in her driveway, driveway, Assumingly walking back home and somebody attacked her in front of her house and drug her to the back of her property under laying and left her laying under a tree. They found her the next day. So the golf club was identified as a Tony Pena Pena. I don't know. Six iron. And a few hours later, while the police were searching the area and canvassing the Skakel residence, they found the matching set of clubs. So this was the the Skakel residence. It was in their garage or something. So the set was owned by Ann Skakel, who had actually passed away a few years earlier from cancer. That was the boy's mother. So even though, you know, she had cancer, they were sort of expecting her to pass away. Right. They knew it was going to happen. But the thing was, is she was taken to the hospital and she just didn't return. Like, it was kind of blindsiding them, you know? like they, Right. They didn't think it would happen then. Yeah, they exactly. So, after yeah. Anne's passing, Rushton had a hard time parenting and was often away. Yeah. So, the kids were usually alone, which led to a lot of trouble and chaos. Mm. Um, they partied and did whatever they wanted to do. Actually, the night of Martha's murder, murder, Rushton was out of town for a hunting trip. So, mm. all of his kids were alone. Yeah. Um, and it was also said that Michael had a particularly hard time with his mother's passing. And around the age of 13, he started abusing alcohol. Oh, my god! 13 years old. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It's crazy. They didn't have a, a grandma or somebody to move in with him? Apparently oh, not. Gosh, that's sad. A few days after Martha's murder on November 4th was her funeral. And there was approximately 500 people in attendance. During her funeral, police were continuing their investigation and started learning more and more about her relationship with Michael and Tommy. Friends told police that Tommy wanted to date Martha and he flirted with her often, but Martha did not always accept those passes. And investigators found her her diary, which helped paint a better picture of what she was really thinking. So, in early September, she seemed to be hanging out with the Skagels a lot more and wrote in her diary on the 7th saying, Tonight, me, Margie, and Jackie went over to the Skagels' house. I've been having fun the last couple of days. I've gone out every night. 
And she said someone by the name of Miss Reese told the group that she only saw the girls over there late at night. Mm. And a few days later on the 12th, she went out with a group of friends that included Tommy and Michael to get ice cream and said they piled in Tom's car driving around and he let her drive a little. She said, quote, I was practically sitting on Tom's lap because I was only steering. He kept putting his hands on my knee. Then I was driving again, and Tom put his arm around me. He kept doing stuff like that, end quote. On September 19th, she wrote, quote, Michael was so totally out of it that he was being a real asshole in his actions and words. He kept telling me that I was leading Tom on when I didn't like him, except as a friend. I said, well, how about you and Jackie? You keep telling me that you don't like her and you're all over her. He doesn't understand that he can be nice to her without hanging all over her. Michael jumps to conclusions. I can't be friends with Tom just because I talked to him doesn't mean I like him. I really have to stop going over there. Okay. Okay. She even writes in the beginning of October about a dance they all went to and Tom kept trying to put his arms around her. All this supports the claim that Tom had a crush on Martha and Martha claimed she did not have any feelings towards him at all. And these are her words from her diary. Yes, except for he keeps trying and trying. And Michael said Martha was leading Tom on. Mm. So friends all told police that Tommy and Michael both had explosive tempers and they were very competitive with each other as well. Mm -hmm. So it both seemed like they were, they both had a crush on Martha and they were both kind of fighting for her attention. It's kind of what it seemed like to me. Mm -hmm. With all of this information, they determined Martha was killed between 9.30 and 10 p.m. And so they go talk to Tommy since he was the last person that saw her alive. Right. His original alibi, he tells police, was he last saw Martha around 9.30. He left her to go work on a paper about Abraham Lincoln that he was assigned. Police sure. later discovered there was actually no paper assigned yeah, to Tommy. Yeah, that sounds like BS. This is where, in the story and all throughout my research, my brain screamed, Tommy did it, Tommy did it. Yeah. Here's the signs. Yeah. But wait, there's more. Okay. So even though police found that Tommy lied about the paper, he still had an alibi, Ken Littleton. Ken was the new family tutor that moved in the day before, and he said he was with Tommy around 10 p.m. watching TV. Ken said he never noticed anything out of the ordinary with Tom. An article on unsolved.com said Tommy was given two polygraphs. The first was inconclusive, but the second he passed. Polygraphs are, I I can, I pretty much polygraphs. Exactly, but just wait. So reporter Lynn Levitt pointed out back in 2003 that how could Tommy have had time to murder Martha so violently, clean up, and appear perfectly normal only a few minutes after this girl was bludgeoned to death? My first thought was could Ken have lied about the time he was with Tommy or was he mistaken? Well, right. Yeah. Either way. Or he lied for him. Well, I was about to say, either way, there were no arrests made, though. And the police seemed like they were not any closer to finding out who really committed this awful crime. Mm. Months went by, and Tommy's lawyer advised Rushton to quit cooperating with police, so he did. And he also ended up firing Ken Littleton, whose life went quickly downhill after that. Oh. That's the tutor. Yes. That had the alibi for... Yes. Yeah. Uh So Ken moved to Nantucket seemingly so he could be isolated on this island. And he started drinking Uh all the time, doing drugs and committing larceny. Investigators did look into the tutor having something to do with Martha's murder because his issues all seemed really sus. Uh But there was no motive and he didn't even know Martha. So it fell apart pretty quickly as it just as it came together. That's right. Well, he was also a he was also given polygraphs and apparently failed, but police didn't have evidence to arrest him. Hmm. This is when Martha's case went cold for years. Um, but I really want to say that Ken's actions, like I said, really suspicious. Yes. Do I think he committed the murder? No. But do I think he could be covering for one of the skakels? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, um, her mother and father were convinced that whoever had done this to their baby girl was across the street at the Skakel residence, and they couldn't bear to live there any longer. So, they ended up moving to Maryland, and in 1988, David Moxley, her father, died of a heart attack at only 57 years old. 
He rarely talked about his daughter's murder and kept all of his feelings inside, which Dorothy contributes to his early passing. Hmm. But the trial of another Kennedy in 1991 would breathe a breath of fresh air into Martha's case. So, William Kennedy Smith was charged but acquitted of rape in Florida. Mm-hmm. And it somehow came out during his trial that he said he was at the Skakels the night of Martha's murder. That oh. turns out to be false. Okay. But okay. that lie did help in this case, which only happens probably about 1% of the time, so I do not recommend it. Um, uh-huh. But since it was a Kennedy um, claiming he was there around this very famous case, there was yeah. a lot of consistent press coverage. And this put pressure on the police department police department and this got them to reopen her case Good. when they opened her recase they offered a tip line and a reward i think this scared rushton into hiring his own investigators and they did their own findings which they would later pile into a report known as the sutton report During these personal investigations brought on by Rushton himself, there was some evidence that pointed a finger at another one of his sons this time, Michael. So, you know, originally it was Tommy that police focused on, but now it was Michael. This report was leaked sometime around 1995, um, and this was never supposed to have been released, of course. It was originally supposed to be kept a secret because of its incriminating evidence inside. So, Michael lied to police originally when he said he was watching a movie with his cousins. And he originally said he had come home around 11.30 and went to bed. Well, he told the family investigator something completely different. He said that night he was drunk and horny around midnight. So, he went outside, climbed a tree that was near Martha's bedroom window, Uh -uh. and proceeded to masturbate in the tree. Wow, that's some next-level stuff there. Yeah. And so in 1997, a couple years after the report was leaked, he was working on a, like a, a pitch for an autobiography. Okay. And he was doing tape recordings, and he said, quote, I pulled my pants down. I masturbated for 30 seconds in the tree. I remember thinking, oh, my God, I hope to God nobody saw me jerk off. Then I woke up to Mrs. Moxley saying, Michael, have you seen Martha? I was like, oh, my God, did they see me last night? There were rumors going around and about Michael admitting to Martha's murder as well. 30 seconds? Well, I was like, wow, what a two-pump shelf. Okay. <laughs> Why would you say 30 seconds? Why? <laughs> it, it, you can remove her? I mean, this guy's, yikes, this is weird. This is really Anyways, strange. so, not, <laughs> not only did the Sutton report reveal that Michael lied, it also showed evidence of Tommy lying as well. During this report, it is when it was revealed that Tommy lied to police to begin with saying he went inside at 9.30 and all about the paper and the TV, you know, all that crap. Yeah. But he told family investigators he stayed outside for an additional 30 minutes, engaging in a sexual encounter. So that puts Tommy going inside around 10 Mm p.m. Martha was murdered between 9.30 and 10. 10. So it ends its findings on Tommy by saying they couldn't say for certain whether he committed the crime, but he fit the suspect profile, so it was definitely a possibility. The report also revealed Ken Littleton actually failed two polygraphs, but said that the results couldn't be completely trusted, and it added that he likely failed because of how nervous, unstable, and agitated that he was. And because he was lying for Mm, someone else. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, Uh too. Now, I want to quickly branch off on a side story that is bananas but completely relevant to the case so keep that in mind while you listen to this yes so i have to tell you about the alan school in poland mate have you ever heard of it yes so it was basically a boarding school Mm -hmm. for the rich and troubled Mm -hmm. um joe Ritchie, a freaking con man who is a whole nother story found it yeah, but I'm not even going to get into it. I'm not getting into it. Um, but he founded the Elon School alongside child psychiatrist Gerald Davidson. They opened the school in 1974 in the middle of the woods in the isolated main forest. Richie marketed this school as one that would correct children's bad behavior, not punishment, and people sent their kids like a lamb to the slaughter. 
So not only parents though, but the juvenile systems and courts were sending yeah. teens there too. Like this was a very popular place. Yep. They promised to turn your social deviant into an upstanding citizen. That's literally what they said. The horribleness this place inflicted started before they even got on the school's premises in some cases. And a lot of times, teens didn't even know they were being sent to the Elan school. So the school actually hired an agency to basically kidnap the kids, but in That's the, right. yeah, out of the out of their bed in the middle of the night, they would handcuff them, throw them in the back of a van, and they drive them from they drive them from wherever they were at to Poland land. Like they could be in California, they'd be driving all night long. That is crazy. So can you imagine what these kids were going through? This traumatized so many of them a large percentage of these kids like i said were from wealthy families so they 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 were you know supposed to be going to a very prestigious center with tuition over forty thousand dollars annually for all they knew but 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 they but they were they thought they could be getting kidnapped for ransom being taken for trafficking purposes like they were being sent to a school but they didn't know that yeah that's nuts. So, upon riding at the school, kids would attempt to run, but there were guards in the woods waiting to capture any kid who, who tried to flee. Like, oh they were just waiting in the woods. Joe Ritchie said himself in an interview for NBC News in 1979, quote, Adelon, the first thing you learn is that you're not going to get out of here. No matter how many times you run away, we will go and get you, end oh quote. God. Like, how creepy. Yikes. Then students, or whatever you would call, I would say prisoners, um, would be forced into a shower with no privacy and given the blinds closed wear Mm. because they were to be all one group. Yes, look the same. Yeah, they were not to stand out. They were split up into different groups, strengths and non-strengths. And from what I could find, um, let me just tell you about this. So... A strength is basically someone that the staff thought was good enough to be promoted and given permission to be o- over other students. I remember this. Um, mm. I couldn't really find requirements on it other than um, a former student saying that it took months or even years to earn the strength title, and even some kids didn't. Um, non-strengths could not talk to other non-strengths. Um, and non-strengths were not allowed to reach out to their parents. Students couldn't even freely reach out to their parents anyways. They were actually punished wow. if they mentioned any abuse over the phone, and they were made to rewrite letters over and over again until the school deemed acceptable. Yikes. And I'll link an article in the show notes that goes more into detail about the lawn school yeah. because it was awful, or maybe... Um, little sweetie over here wants to cover it on an episode of the podcast. Yeah, for sure. But that's not the main focus here. So I'm going to jump back into why I brought the Elan up in the first place. Tell me. Only two to three years after Martha's murder, Rushton actually sent Michael there. Oh. Yes. So, and it was 1978 and Michael was 18 years old. He was actually arrested for drunk driving. So Rushton sent him to Elan. Mm-hmm. When he got to the school, he started confessing to Martha's murder, but this still wouldn't come to light for another 20-ish years. Like, so he was wow. confessing in 1978, but it didn't really come up. So Gregory Coleman, a... Um, you didn't? Uh-uh. Surprise, shawty. Okay. So, Gregory Coleman, who was one of his, like, classmates, I could say, in Adelon, uh-huh. later said that one of the first things Michael said to him when he got Adelon was, I'm going to get away with murder. I'm a Kennedy. No, he didn't. Cocky ass. Ugh. He said that Michael then went into detail with him about what happened with Martha. He claimed he made advances towards her that she denied. He got pissed and said then drove her skull in with a golf club. And a People's article, it said that Michael actually wore a sign that said, quote, confront me on why I killed my friend Martha, end quote. <gasps> so, another thing to know is at, at a lawn, they would make them wear, like, signs that were supposed to, like, make them feel down. Yep. So, that was apparently one of the signs Michael wore was, ask me why I killed my friend Martha. Wow. Wow. 
1998, Timothy Dumas, or Dumas, a Greenwich local, wrote a book called Green Greentown. I'm going to or Greentown. Is it Greentown? I guess. If it's Greenwich. Right. Or is it Greentown? Anyways. I would say Greentown. This is a book he discussed the murder of Martha Moxley, and he recalled Michael always having a short temper and even beating squirrels to death with golf Stop. clubs. Whoa, Neil Terry, clubs. shut up. Mm-mm. Stop it. So, that's all that. Um, with all of well, that being said, attorney Jonathan Benedict used a one-man jury to start reviewing all the evidence in Martha's case, and 18 months later, on January 14th of 2000, according to court documents I found, an arrest warrant was issued for Michael Skakel. This was almost 25 years after Martha's death. January 19th of 2000, Michael Skakel, 39 years old, was arrested and someone was officially charged in her murder. Mm. At this time, Michael was actually married with a son, and I think he was living in Florida. Mm. A relative has said this was referring to... A relative said this, referring to the Moxley case, quote, this has ruined his life, end quote. Uh, this has ruined his life. Yeah, it also wow. ruined Martha Moxley's life because okay. she's dead. Yeah, right. Never even got to really live. Sorry. Her life. That sounds real foolish. Oh, real gosh, foolish for someone that's being, um, stupid. yeah. <laughs> so... Mm. Anyways, so whether it was Michael or not, though, I'm with Dorothy on this one. That is 100% someone from the Skakel house that committed this murder. Yeah, agreed. I just, just know. I just, I, I just feel that. After the first show I watched. So, yeah, yeah. Michael's trial started and it was all over the media, of course. Right. Michael's attorney, Mickey Sherman, told the media outside the courthouse, quote, Michael's defense and his only defense is that he did not commit this crime, end quote. During this trial, it also brought up a motive. Some argued that Michael got angry over the attention Martha was showing Tommy, so in a jealous rage, he killed her. He even wrote in the proposal for his autobiography that I mentioned earlier that he wanted Martha to be his girlfriend. The prosecutor, Jonathan Benedict, began his argument with discrediting Michael's alibi he used the night Martha was murdered. Mm-hmm. Remember, he said he was with two of his brothers and a cousin, that, and he went back to the cousin's house to watch a movie. Yep. He said he wasn't back home until about 1130, which is long after Martha had been murdered. Yep. Well, Andrea Shakespeare, a family friend of the Skagels, was called as a witness and testified that she was positive Michael never went on that car ride. Mm-hmm. Benedict goes on to use all of Michael's words against him, specifically where he allegedly bragged about murdering Martha at the Elan School to classmate Greg Coleman. Come to find out, though, Coleman had actually died from a drug overdose before the trial, and his testimony was played at trial. I mean, his testimony was played. Well, that's good. But before the trial started, it came out that Coleman told attorneys that he was high on drugs at the time he said oh, Michael confessed. Okay. And it didn't, but, but it didn't matter because there were nine other witnesses who had similar stories. Apparently. Nice. Okay. Well, thank God for that. Then he closed out his arguments by playing an edited version of the autobiography audio tape where Michael says, quote, Oh my God, did they see me last night? And I remember just having a feeling of panic, end quote. Mm. After four days of deliberation, the jury came to a conclusion. On August 30th, 2002, Michael was sentenced to 20 years to life for the murder of Martha Moxley. Nice. 20 years? I mean, do we really think that's extreme enough? Well, just wait a second. Just wait a second. A few months later, after his trial, his cousin, Robert Kennedy Jr., spoke out and said he knew Michael was innocent and that the prosecutor misrepresented Michael's words in his closing arguments. He forgot to include the part about Michael being nervous because he was scared someone had seen him jerking off. Without playing the last part of Michael's audio where he was talking about masturbating, it sounded like he was confessing and implementing himself in the murder. Robert Kennedy Jr. said that the statement was what put Michael behind bars. And you might think that this is where the story ends. You know, Michael's behind bars. We know who killed Martha. We can remember her while her murderer is being, you know, serving his sentence. You know, all that. 
Right. Wrong. No. Robert Kennedy Jr. received a tip eight months after Michael's conviction that he believed would clear Michael's name and get the real killer serving justice. Mm -hmm. A former classmate of Michael's, Tony Bryant, who, fun fact, I later found in my research, was Kobe Bryant's cousin. Oh. Claimed he knew who really killed Martha Moxley, so Michael's attorney went to Florida to further investigate. In 2003, he confessed on camera that he took two friends, Adolph Hasbrock, or Al, and Burton Tinsley to Billhaven, where he said he had no doubt in his mind that they were involved in the murder. Al and Burton were from New York and supposedly had become infatuated with Martha. Tony specifically named one specific time when Martha was at a dance that the three were also attending. He said that Al had gotten jealous that other guys were coming up and talking to Martha. Tony said Al made the comment, quote, I don't understand why she's spending her time with those other guys when she could be with me, end quote. Tony goes on to say that the night of the murder, all three of them picked up golf clubs from the Skakel residence, and one of the other two bragged about wanting to hurt someone, saying, quote, I got my caveman club, and I'm going to go to grab somebody, pull them by the hair, and do what cavemans do, end quote. Ew. Tony, of course, removed himself from the crime, saying he left Bellhaven. Al and Burton caught up with him later and said they had achieved their fantasy. Tony said he knew who they were talking about instantly because it's all over the news the next day. Mm. But there's a few things so I Tony personally... Tony kept all this inside, ain't never told anyone. Well, that's... Yeah, so that's exactly one of my issues I have with this yeah. uh, this confession. Okay. Um, because he said he, he claims he knew who it was the next day. So why are you waiting years and years and years later to speak about it? I would have called police as soon as I left Bay- Bellhaven that day, that night and said, Hey, buddies, um, these psychos from New York are finding someone to beat up with a golf club in Bellhaven, and I think you should check it out. Right. Like, you can even do that anonymously. But, like, no doubt. 20-something years later? Mm-mm, mm-mm. I just find it really, really no. sus that Robert Kennedy received a tip from someone that is finally wanting to talk. Okay. That's red flag number one. Absolutely. Also, from everything I read, there was only one golf club missing, not three. So, you expect me to believe that if these three guys went onto their property, stole these golf clubs while there was teens all over the house. Keep in mind, they, right. they were in the That's front right. yard. And it was a busy night. Exactly. The neighborhood. It was mischief night. So, right. They're all on the property. They're in the car. They're hanging out. You expect me to to think that no one saw three of these kids come in steal golf clubs. One of them, two of them, I suppose, brutally murders Martha, and then two out of the three they are returned, returned they untouched. Returned? Come on here, Neil. That does not make good sense. No, it doesn't. And there's a few more other contradictory things, but I'll save those for a little bit later. So, in 2005, Michael's attorney filed for an appeal asking for a new trial. Herbert Santos, or Hubert, Hubert Santos? Hubert. Said they had new evidence and allegations that suggested somebody else committed the crime. But once they were granted a hearing to present the new evidence, Tony refused to testify under oath. Red flag number two. Okay, he go lie and, in a court of law. Hell no. With this head on the Bible. And Tony. <laughs> fuck Tony, man. <laughs> Come you on, know. man. Tony. Holy. So in 2020, Robert Kennedy Jr. said this, quote, Well, of course he's not going to do that because he admits that he brought the murderers to Greenwich. Greenwich. <laughs> because he could be charged with that crime. End quote. Excuse me? Because you rolled up somewhere with your friends, but then let, no, Mr. Kennedy, no, 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 no. Well, that's what I literally write. I say I could be wrong. I mean, I could be okay, wrong. I didn't go. Right. I didn't go to law school. Um, but I just don't think because they hitched a ride to the neighborhood with Tony means he's getting charged with murder too. No way. Or even a, an accessory to the crime. No. You, you know, like no. I don't think that's how that works. They didn't have an invitation to go to a party at her house. Like, and even if they did, I, no. Yeah, I don't know about that. So, very sus. Maybe I'm misunderstanding or don't know what I'm talking about, but, like, that's just my opinion and I'm putting it out there. And I agree. Um, Tony wouldn't testify without immunity is what Robert said, so they played his Tate confession, but the judge wasn't convinced and ruled against a new trial. Mm -hmm. And that's where we end. Psych. 
was about to say, there's another paragraph. There's a lot more paragraphs. Kennedy can't stop and he won't stop. So he's getting Michael out one way or a damn other. So in 2016, Robert actually writes a book himself he titled Framed, where he claims he did meticulous research that proves Michael was not the killer and was railroaded by media due to, oh, oh, get this, due to the quote, devious actions of a crooked cop. A trio of mendacious writers, a treacherous family lawyer nursing a secret grudge, a narcissistic defense attorney obsessed by the spotlight, a craven prosecutor gone rogue, and a parade of perjuring witnesses, quote, end quote. I'm calling bullshit. Which to me sounds like some pretty bold claims and saying not a single person in the entire damn investigation did their job, which is hard for me to believe. I can so nobody in the cops' office in the investigation, nobody in the prosecution's office, and nobody in the defense attorney's office did their job at all. Yeah, no, I, that's a lot, and it's it doesn't. It lot. just doesn't add up to me. Um, but Kennedy also brought up the allegations against Alan Burton. He actually used Martha's diary entry to back his claim that she met Tony and two strangers three weeks before her murder at a dance. Mm-hmm. But this is what her diary entry read. On October 4th, she wrote, quote, Dear Diary, tonight was a sacred, was the sacred heart dance. When we walked in, some guy asked me to dance. Some other guy asked me to dance, and it turned out to be a slow dance. It was Stairway to Heaven. At the fast part, he wouldn't let go. Dot, dot, dot. I also danced with Dickie, Neil, and Peter Zeminski, a lot with Dickie. End quote. Now, I want to point out that the Dickie she mentioned was Richard Burns, who we talked about earlier in the mm-hmm. episode. He was one of her friends that did the interview with the CBS News or 48 Hours or whatever that was yep. um, that I'll link in the show notes. Um, Richard remembered being with Martha the entire night and he said they danced pretty much the entire night together um, and said that he never really even remembered seeing Tony or meeting Al or Burton. And while neither Al or Burton denied visiting Belhaven, there is zero evidence to suggest that they were there the night Martha was murdered. So, Larry Schoenbach, one of Martha's lawyers, spoke out in in an interview saying he was 100% positive that neither Al or Burton were responsible. And, in fact, on the bigger, you know, and, in fact, he pointed out to, you know, let's be real, back in the 90s, if there was, he he was a young black teen. Right. And he was on the bigger side. So, if he's walking around in a very white neighborhood, a very... You know, like, he's going right. to stick out. Upscale. Especially right. if he's got blood splattered on him. Yeah. Because you'd think if someone bludgeoned a teen girl to death, um, there was there would be at least a little bit of blood smear on their clothes. Right. He would have stuck out. Someone would have seen him. Right. Like you said, especially with how busy this night yeah. was. So, in everyone's personal opinion, they're just trying to find a scapegoat. And as long as okay. Michael was freed, Robert and their team completed their mission. So, it didn't really matter who was getting the brunt of okay. them. Okay. You know, yep, investigation. So, <clears throat> but it is ridiculous that Robert continued to push this narrative that these teens from New York came in and fabricated an entire story to clear Michael's name, along with the Kennedy name. No offense to Kennedys, like, don't sue me or anything, but this ain't the first criminal occurrence or scandal that has happened within the fam. So maybe we shouldn't continue bringing attention to the fact that Kennedys seem like a bunch of criminals, okay. but aren't 99%. But, you know, aren't 99% of politicians. Okay. So. <laughs> right. In November of 2020, though, in an interview with the 48 Hours, Robert insisted Tony Bryant had no reason to lie about Alan Burton's involvement. When the interviewer asked if he had any regrets pointing the finger at two innocent kids with no physical evidence, he got defensive and said, quote, there is a lot of evidence that ties them to the crime. You have their best friend who says they confessed to him. And when he was pressured further about it, he got up from the interview chair. Like, number one, Tony's sketchy-ass confession that he wouldn't tell on the stand is not physical evidence. And it's no. not good enough to clear your delinquent family member's name oh. in my book. Mm-hmm. And number two, why are you getting up from the chair? Why are you getting all defensive? You wrote this defamatory book, and now you can't take the heat regarding right. questions about your opinions and your own actions? Because he knows that it doesn't make sense. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He has nothing to say. Regardless, nothing Tony's saying or Robert doing helped Michael appeal his trial. But on April 16th of 2013, Michael had his new attorney. 2013? Yes. Okay. 
Yes, that's what that says. Michael had his new attorney, Hubert Santos, appeal his conviction on the basis that his old attorney, Mickey Sherman, botched his case. They used the term media whore. Michael also claimed Mickey did not even focus on his own brother, Tommy, and more possible suspect. Which, to be honest, I'm not going to disagree with. Like, I am here to say I have no idea what happened genuinely, but I really do agree that Tommy was not looked into hard enough. And I said to begin with, he was screaming, suspect, 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 from, like, moment number one. Yes. Um, He lied. It's just, you know. But anyway, you know, yep. Michael was on the stand and Hubert dropped a bomb, diggity bomb, baby. Hubert said, quote, did you know that he strangled a fellow classmate right in front of his teacher? End quote. Speaking about Tommy. Oh. And Mickey replied by saying, quote, I don't recall that. And Mickey then went on to not even attempt to get Tommy on the stand. And his excuse was, quote, he was going to invoke the Fifth Amendment no matter what we did, end quote. And if all that wasn't enough for your jaw to be on the flap, in your lap, then his last explosion was saying that Mickey failed to call a witness that corroborated Michael's alibi. Dennis Osario, 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 anyways, were was allegedly at the cousins the night that the murder happened and said he remembered Michael being there. Oh. And apparently Mickey knew this, but didn't call this witness. Mm-hmm. Mickey's team argued that all of this, or Michael's team argued, excuse me, that all of this evidence would have proved there was a reasonable doubt. So six months later, Michael's Skakel's conviction was overturned and he was a free man again. But not for long. Phew. He was going to have a new trial. But don't, uh, don't, no few for me. Don't, no, no, no fuse here. I mean, what if he didn't do it? I don't know. What if Tommy did it? And that's what I'm saying. What if they both did it? I'm so, I mean, like, what if Tommy did it and Michael helped cover it up? I don't know. Anyways. So, in 2016, the Connecticut Supreme Court reinstated Michael's conviction. He filed for reconsideration and appealed. But in 2019... 2018, there was a new judge, and the Supreme Court overturned their own decision. They said Michael was entitled to a new trial. Mm. When Dorothy heard this, she said she was not expecting to hear that decision. She told CNN, quote, it is what it is, and we have to go from there. I'm willing to do whatever the state of Connecticut wants me to do. I was 43 when she was murdered, and I'll be 86 next month. This has been going on half of my life, end quote. And on the 45th anniversary of Martha's murder, October 30th, 2020, the state announced that they were not going to retry Michael Skakel. He was officially a free man with no looming trial, and Martha's murder was officially considered unsolved again. And there there has still not ever been a conviction. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, he served... Oh, gosh, how many years did he serve? Like, I can't remember, between 9 and 13? Yeah. <clears throat> One last thing I wanted to add was some user comments that I found because I think this is, you know, one of my favorite things about doing research is hearing from people that are possibly related to the case. Yeah. And I know that we talked about, like, don't believe everything you read. But right. I like to be gullible and optimistic. So, yeah. I was reading the comments on the unsolved.com article about Martha's case. And in 2017, a user that went by Jamie posted this, quote, Michael Skakel killed Martha. There is no doubt in my mind. I lived a mile away from her and used to cut through the backyard to get my best to get to my best friend's house. Mm. The Greenwich police botched the investigation. My boyfriend and I drove by Walsh Lane on holiday on Halloween, the day Martha's body was found. We were smoking pot in the car and were stopped by the police. He warned us that there had been a murder in the neighborhood and that we shouldn't be smoking pot so blatantly. Then he let us go. WTF. I think back on this and wonder why they didn't bring us in for questioning. I don't ever remember anyone thinking that Tommy Skakel was the one who killed her. I remember Michael's name coming up all the time. Mm. I knew Martha because we both took the same bus to school. We weren't friends. I knew of Michael but didn't know him personally. I have a friend from private school who ended up going to a lawn at the same time that Michael was there, and she said that he was disturbed. The whole Bell Haven scene was ridiculous. It was a wealthy community where the kids could do anything and get away with it. If you got into trouble, your parents could pay your way out. Your mm. your parents could pay your way out of it. You didn't even need to be a relative of the Kennedys. Wow. So she's not just saying it was That's Michael. Crazy. It was anybody. Yeah. If you have money, the Greenwich police is going to get you off. 
Isn't that how it goes? So, well, Martha sure does deserve justice. Well, and that's Um, why I wanted to do her case, especially around the time of her murder. Because as of right now, there's nobody in prison for her murder. It's still technically, I suppose, unsolved. I still think one of the Skakels had something to do with it. Am I convinced it's Michael? No. But do I think they did a good job of looking into Tommy? No. So... That's yeah. my opinion. And but so I don't really. I, I don't. Passed. Exactly. I mean. Did they, did, they should have gotten, did they get DNA? I couldn't even find out. Where's the DNA? Can we do DNA testing? Like, right. I couldn't even find that. So, I don't know. But so if sad. y'all know anything, if you've heard of anything, you know, contact the Greenwich Police. Greenwich Police. I'm about tired of this. Greenwich. I'm Greenwich. just contact the police department. Yes. You know, call I mean, any police department. They'll they'll get your. Tips they really will. But right police place. get to the the right one. But I'm gonna try and find a tip line or anything and link it in the show notes. So yeah, for sure. And maybe I mean, there's still hope. Look, the case I last did. That's right. Twenty years later. Yeah. And this has been even longer craziness. Yeah. It can start so, Martha deserves y'all, it. Um, thank you guys for listening. And that yeah. was the case of Martha Moxley. You guys are the best. Listening every week. Yeah. Leaving us reviews. Yeah. We love it. That voice was awesome. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. I'm probably throwing out every week, I think. Yeah. I try to. Well, like, mix it up. You yeah. know, yeah. keep yeah. our listeners guessing. You know on your chills, man. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we do thank you. We love you. And um, as always, you guys, we post pictures associated with the case on mm-hmm. our Instagram. At Ill Natured Pod. We also post them on our Facebook, but we have cool um other things we post on Facebook as well. So Ill Natured Podcast. We have a TikTok. At Ill Natured Pod. And you know you can email us. Illnaturedpod at yahoo.com. And that's all, folks. Yeah, send, send a listen, email, case suggestions, as always. And you um, need to rate, review, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And yeah. we always want you to be telling your friends, uh, you know, and thank spread you. the word like wildflower, baby. Yes. Um, and we will catch you guys on the flip side. Peace.